Here we go. We are in a series called Gathering to Go, and uh, we're trying to be a people who are gathering to go with the presence of Jesus. We're gathering in the presence of Jesus to grow with the presence of Jesus, and then we want to go with the presence of Jesus. We can be the light of the world. We can be his hands and feet. So that's what we're trying to do as a church, and we're looking in this series and the book of Acts. So in the summer of 2020, we looked at the first seven chapters of Acts, uh, and the, how the early church formed, and it was centered primarily around Jerusalem, all those, all those stories that happened in Jerusalem. That's where the, the church of Jesus started. Then, in the spring of 2021, we went from this event where Stephen was stoned in Jerusalem and people were scattered, and we followed Philip and Peter and the stories that followed in how they, they moved on to Samaria and to other, to other people, and now what we've been doing in the winter is we've been looking at that same starting point of Stephen being stoned, Stephen, a follower of Jesus, being stoned and executed, and then what happened with Saul and his conversion to being against Christianity and then becoming a follower of Jesus and then a leader in the movement and then he and Barnabas doing this journey to people who've never heard of, heard of Jesus, most of whom didn't even know about the Old Testament God, the God of the Jews, and what has happened there. So this is the last Sunday where we're going through those stories. Now, if you're a podcast listener, you know that sometimes you go through a season and then they have some bonus episodes. The next two weeks, we're going to have bonus episodes. We're still going to be talking about these parts of the book of Acts that we have been talking about, but Clay Corver is going to come next week and he's going to speak about um, uh, some things that, that we didn't quite cover. Um, we covered the passage, but he's going to bring a different angle. And then uh, in two weeks, we're going to do something different in the service. So today, we're going through chapter 15. It is the turning point in the book of Acts. After this, there's, Jerusalem is no longer the center. Even Antioch is not hardly talked about. Peter is no longer talked about. It is Paul, and it's about how he is moving towards Rome and the expansion of, of the church and God's kingdom. So this is where we're going to end. What we've been going through is chapter 15, but we're going to go through the whole chapter. That's 40 verses. It will be probably slightly longer than a normal message, but when I talk in two weeks, I promise, it will be significantly shorter than my normal message because we're, we're only going to look at a few verses and we're going to do something different in that bonus episode. Okay, so we better get started, though. I am going to do my best to do what pastors do not do well, which is move on and keep moving on instead of lingering at every single point that could possibly be made. I'm giving myself about a 30, I'll probably get about 30% good at that. But anyway, I'm going to give it a try. I'm going to read the first four verses and then I'm going to explain where we're going with the rest of this message. So Paul and Barnabas have just gotten back. They've seen people come to faith in all different kinds of parts of what is um, Cyprus, modern-day Turkey. They've seen it, they've reported it, and people are joyful, and then this is where it picks up from there. 15 verse 1, certain people came down from Judea to Antioch, that's where Paul and Barnabas are, that's their center, um, the church there, and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised, according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, 
They, welcome, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. Okay, so here's what's going on. People have come to faith in Jesus, but they're, they're looked at in these biblical times through a lens of you belong to one group or the other. You were either Jews or you were Gentiles. And so the Jews are attempting to follow the Old Testament law. What we would call the Old Testament, there wasn't a New Testament yet, so the, the Hebrew Bible, and they're trying to follow that. And part of what it says in the Bible is that you need to be circumcised if you're a man. That's the sign that you are, that's the sign that you want to be part of God's covenant people, of you are committing to God's people. When Paul and Barnabas are having people come to faith in Jesus and they're Gentiles, they're non-Jewish, they're not saying that you have to be circumcised. That's a lot better strategy. You're, gonna, you're probably going to have a lot more success with the male population if you don't require that. But that's not the, the main reason. They just didn't believe that was required in the new covenant. So there is a debate. The one is saying, like, it's in the Bible. It is in the Bible. Circumcised. So why aren't we doing it? And the others are saying, well, wait a minute. The, what's in the Bible is this. God talked to Abraham and made a covenant with Abraham and said, your family, which will become a nation, are going to be set apart as my special people and going to prepare the way so that the Gentiles can know what I'm like. And so as you're following me, as your bloodline is following me, they should be circumcised. And then through Moses, Moses gave them all kinds of rules. The law, the first five books of the Bible are attributed to Moses. They're following Moses in the law. And in there, there is what's called in the law three different parts. There is the civil law. So this nation, how does it govern itself? How does it make judgments about what's right and wrong? What's the process when certain disputes or crimes happen? There's the civil law. It's governmental for that nation. There is the ceremonial law. Okay, how are we going to worship? What kind of, what kind, what does it mean to be a priest? What do priests need to do? What kind of sacrifices do we need to do? What days of the week do we worship? What kinds of festivals do we have? What are the dietary laws? They have these, these different things, the ceremonial, that will say this is what it means to be Jewish is you follow the law. This is the thing which actually God uses to point to how he's going to fulfill the law in Jesus, but it's the ceremonial law. And then there's the moral law. The moral law, what is clearest that is the moral law is the Ten Commandments. This is just right and wrong all the way through. And so what happens is Paul is saying at that time, yes, this was a way, the law was a way to say, this is what's right, this is what's wrong, this is how you can draw close to the Lord. But Jesus fulfilled the law, and in other books of the, of the New Testament, like in Hebrews, it'll, it'll say, like, we don't need to keep sacrificing animals anymore, even though it says in the Bible to sacrifice animals. That was temporary until Jesus came as the once-for-all sacrifice. And so what followers of Jesus have believed since then is that there is good in the law, even the ceremonial law and the civil law, how could we apply it to today? But it's not necessarily the same as the moral law. It is to lead us to Jesus, and then we follow Jesus wholeheartedly. Anyway, that's the debate. 
which way it's going to go. And it is sharp. You can imagine there are, there are probably hundreds, maybe thousands, probably thousands of people in Antioch who are believers of Jesus who are new to this. And Paul and Barnabas have taught them one thing, and they're in this one thing, and all of a sudden, these people who seem important, seem like they have the right answers, they come down from Jerusalem, and they say, no, you got, this has got to happen. You've got to be circumcised. You've got to follow all these ceremonial rules. You've got to become Jewish. And what, which is it? We don't know. So they decide we're going to have a big meeting. And what we're going to do, reading through the rest of this, is we're going to look at what did they, what happened back then when there is this major conflict, when both sides are making some good points, but they, they don't come to an agreement? They can't say, you're required to be circumcised and you're not required to be circumcised. That's just not possible. I mean, I, the thought just went through my head, half circumcision, anyway, sorry. Sorry, I shouldn't have even said it out loud. But anyway, there's just no way, no way to do both. So how are they going to come together? And so we're going to look at how they came together, how the process worked, what they decided. We're look at what other things are disputes in the matter. We're going to look at all that. And then, since today we're voting on leaving the RCA, which is a pretty big deal. This church was birthed by the RCA. The RCA is the longest, it's the longest standing denomination in North America. This isn't something you just, oh, well, yeah, we'll do it, or we'll not do it. So I want to just briefly, I know we talked about it at length in the fall. I just want to briefly share a few of the things of why the elder board is unanimously recommending that we move and how we want to move forward, how, why we want to move out of the RCA and how we want to move forward, okay? Here we go. Um, back to verse 5. It says, Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, The Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law. So when they got to Jerusalem, the leadership is there. They listen to Paul and Barnabas who say, this is what God's done. And then they listen to these people who say, this is not right. We're trying to follow the Bible. Verse 6, the apostles and elders met together to consider, met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, before I go on with what Peter says, just you know, I think Peter is wise as a leader. So you've got the leaders together. And then you've got uh, Peter, who is a pretty important leader, right? He's the one who was one of the 12. And not just one of the 12, he's the one that Jesus seemed to put in charge a lot of times. And when the Holy Spirit came, he's the one who got up in front and made a big speech. And then uh, thousands of people came to faith. And he's like a leader. He's a big deal. And so he, could, he has his opinion. And he can easily start with giving his opinion, and if he starts in giving his opinion, some people, though, might not give their opinion. And so he waits. There is lots of discussion first. We are hearing what different people say from different perspectives. That's a pretty wise thing to do when you're talking about a complicated matter where people disagree in a group of people. But then there comes a time when he needs to speak. And so he says, brothers, you know that some time ago God, gave, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel, and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that, can, 
a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear. No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. I'm not going to go back to it, but the, the verse, verse 1, it says, you, they cannot be saved. They cannot be saved unless they're circumcised. A little bit later, it's the, they say, they must be circumcised and obey the law. And Peter says, none of us have been able to obey the law. The best of us Jews haven't been able to obey the law. The reason we received the Holy Spirit isn't because we were great Jews and obeyed the law and did all the marking things. No, it was because of what Jesus did. What he did on the cross, what he did with his life, he rose from the dead. The grace and forgiveness we get from him and we have confidence in him, that's how we get changed. That's how our hearts get changed. That's how we become good, because of what he's done and we join in with it. It's not because we obey all the perfect rules and laws. It was a good, good message. Now, verse 12. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. What strikes me about this is it says that when Paul and Barnabas showed up, they told all the things that God had done through them. And then the very next verse is that people get up and say, you got to be circumcised, you got to obey the law. And then, but that now, again, they're going to say all the things that here later, after all the discussion, after Peter talks, they st again say, here's all the things God does for him. But this time it says everyone's silent. Everyone was listening. I think what can happen is that when we are passionate about something, when we feel like we have the right answers about something, when we know that there's kind of two sides or two groups, and the side we think uh, agree with and gravitate towards, now all of a sudden we're talking to the side we don't, I think when we see that, it's, it's like, we can't hear. We don't listen. The more passionate I am, the more I am, the less I am able to hear someone else when they're talking. And so they say, man, God did this miracle, that miracle. These people believe in Jesus. Their lives are changed. They've given up pagan lifestyle. They've done this and that and that. They do all of that, and they're like, circumcised, circumcised, circumcised. Until we get that part right, I don't care what else happened. But then other people talk, and, you hear, and then you, now they listen. I was talking to a leader a couple weeks ago who, um, there's a, a situation, there's a person that was doing just some things that were unhelpful, that were causing frustration, that kind of needed to be addressed. And the leader was telling me how they went about dealing with this person. And, you know, they, they had laid it out. I kind of knew some of the things that were going on. And like, okay, yeah, they're going to, they just need to like say, you can't do this anymore. You've got it shipped. This is not okay. So they brought up the subject and the person right away had some defensiveness about it. And then the person said, you know, I noticed that this is going on in your life. That's got to be really stressful. And I noticed that it's kind of around that time that sometimes these interactions, these interpersonal things happen. And the person was like, yeah. And then the person went and apologized. Now, if the leader powered up in their position then what they were going to get is like, wait, no, but what about this? But, then it... but instead the leader said, you know, what's going on with you? 
And when the person felt understood, then they were able to listen. I know a few years ago, there was a a suicide in our community, and there was a middle school student who was doing some things that were pretty mean-spirited. I mean, they were like jabbing at it instead of being any compassion. Like, and that just feels like horrid, evil. And the, the principal sat the person, the young, young person down. He said, I understand you did this and this and this. Yeah. He said, yeah. And they said, have you ever lost anyone close to you? They had a family member who had committed suicide six months earlier. And so a lot of us could be like, that middle school, you cannot allow that kind of behavior to happen. But the wise principal in our school district said, what's going on in your life first? So someone may have strong opinions about racial justice. They're connected to things that have happened with racism. They know people. They're part of it. Someone else may have a friend who is a police officer. And we talk about the issues, but we don't understand where they're coming from. And so whether I'm the person who's all worked up, passionate about it, or whether I see that person's worked up, either way, my best approach is, can I understand them? And can I communicate in a way that they recognize I understand where they're coming from? Pretty good advice for marriage, too. Wish I applied it more than I realized it was right, but (laughs) there we go. All right, we gotta keep going. Okay, verse 13, when they finished, James spoke up. James, this is the brother of Jesus, he's the leader in the Jerusalem church. The apostles have kind of went out, they're doing their other things. Now, James, this is the leader in the Jerusalem church. When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this. As it is written, after this I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it. That the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name. Says the Lord, who does these it says the Lord, who does these things, things known from long ago. Now, he quotes the Bible. We're talking about the Bible. These guys say, what about the Bible? He said, well, here's what the Bible says. And now he's talking about David's tent. So here, the tent, the tabernacle. This is the place where heaven and earth come together. This is the place where God's presence is most tangibly known. And then the tent, David's tent, turns into the temple. The temple becomes the place where you come to pray, the place where heaven and earth come together, the place where God's presence is made known. But then Jesus comes, and it says, God tabernacled among us in Jesus, in him coming. And he says, you tear the temple down, and it'll get, I'll build it back in three days. He's talking about his own body, because he's the place where heaven and earth come together, where God's presence can be made known. But then it says, Paul says later, that after Jesus has ascended heaven, the spirit gets poured out, and then the church, us, people, the people that believe in Jesus, that are following Jesus, because his spirit moves in us, we become the temple of God. We become the place where Jesus' presence can be made known through us, obviously imperfectly, but that's what's available. That's the desire. That's the vision. And James says here, so hey, when the temple, the t- David's tent gets torn back down, it's going to get rebuilt back up. That's Jesus dying and rising again. And then it's not just Jews. 
It's Gentiles. It's, it, God opens the floodgates. And he uses the prophet Amos in the Old Testament to make that point. Verse 19, it is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. So he says, hey, we don't need the 636 rules in in the Old Testament. We don't need every dietary law. We don't need every single, you know, don't mix the milk with the, uh, in the what is that, the goats? And, anyway, goats and milk, we don't, we don't need that one. We don't need the thread, which kind of thread? But he picks four. And I'm thinking like, man, pick ten and just use the Ten Commandments. What's with the four? What's with blood and strangled animals and, like, really? That's what you're going to pick? I mean, sexual immorality, that feels a little bit more, but the other three? So what's going on there? I think, I, I don't know, but there are two things that go through my mind. And one of them, I pick up from what he says. He says, Moses is read everywhere in the Roman Empire, is what he's saying. In other words, there's Jews everywhere. There are people familiar with the law, the ceremonial law everywhere. And I think part of what he's trying to do, especially with the dietary laws, maybe with sexual morality, that's where this one breaks down a little bit, but is saying like, okay, We aren't going to make you do all the things that Jews do, but could you come our way and and not do the things that would be the most offensive to Jewish people? Because how are we going to come together as Jew and Gentile in Jesus around meals? I've got another theory, but we'll save it. But not like for another week. Sorry. We're going, we're going. Okay. Then the apostles and elders with the whole church decided to choose some of their own men and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They chose Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, men who were leaders among the people. With them, they sent the following letter. The apostles and elders, your brothers, to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, greetings. We have heard that some went out from us without our authorization, authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. So we all agreed to choose some men and send them with you, our dear friends, Barnabas, send them to you with our dear friends, Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals and from sexual immorality, you will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. So, a couple, couple points on the process. It's good when you're with people and you've been talking about like uh, some kind of complex situation, lots of issues. You can be with the group and at the end be like, I think we're on the same page. And then you walk away and then all kinds of conversation. And it goes, it's good to write down, like where are we? So he did that. He wrote it down. And then didn't just send the letter, but he sent the letter with people so they could say, like, oh, someone else couldn't just come and say, well, they weren't really authorized. Okay, it all came together. But what was the decision? And one thing they wrote in that decision was, we know that people came and troubled you. They said you can't be saved unless you're circumcised. They said you need to do every little detail of the Mosaic Law. And we're telling you we don't want to burden you in that way. We don't want to burden you non-Jewish people and try to make you Jews. 
So the first thing that they were saying is, and why don't you save the slide, Jill, and we'll bring them both up in a, in a moment. The first thing that they're saying is we don't want culturally driven, they're saying no to culturally driven religious legalism. Culture, they're saying you got to become a Jew, even though they're not Jews. You got to become a Jew. You got you to follow all the rules. You got to, and they're like, no. What we want is for people to turn to Jesus, to follow Jesus, to give their lives to Jesus, to try to emulate Jesus, to become like Jesus. We don't need to focus on all the little rules. No, we don't need to be Jewish, super religious, super legalistic. It's easy when we read back the Bible for us non-Jews to be like, yeah, man, geez, take it easy. Really? Circumcised to be saved? Are you kidding me? But what Western, you know, European, U.S. missionaries did for years is they would show up, and I remember seeing all kinds of pictures and examples of this when I was in a seminary class, and my professor was from Sierra Leone. They would say, you got to dress like, so you're in Africa. He showed us the pictures. They got to wear suits, Western-made suits to go to church because you wear your church clothes to go to church. And your church clothes are obviously like Western church clothes, even though you're in Africa and you're an African. And they would sing the songs. You know the style of songs they sang? They were the hymns that they were singing in Europe and in U.S. So with great intentions and people with great sacrifice and risking their lives, what happened is mixed together was to be a Christian means to be an American. To be a Christian means to be European instead of focusing on Jesus. So good things happened. People became Christians, but, the, but it didn't really spread. When it spread was when African people believed, encountered Jesus, turned to Jesus, and then they became the leaders. And they said, we're not really part of this anymore. Christianity exploded in the 20th century in Africa from African independent churches. That meant churches that weren't looking to any sort of mission agency, anything back. Pastor Samuel, who we still support uh, ongoing way, he just started his own church and then many churches and then an orphanage and then a school and then the wealth thing, and it explodes. And so we're supporting someone who knows Africa, who's a follower of Jesus and he's African. It's house churches in China, same way. It really spread many, many women leading uh, Chinese churches, house churches. The missionaries that went there would say things like, women can't lead it. Okay, well, when the women did lead it and sought Jesus and the Holy Spirit, it exploded. So no culturally driven religious legalism. We're saying no to that. But then we get to these four things. No blood, strangled animals, or no strangled animals, no blood, no food that's been sacrificed to idols, and no sexual immorality. I think what they were also saying no to is we're no to immoral um, paganism. Immoral, irreligious paganism was not the answer. We're not going to be super religious legalism, but we're also, it's not because those things were how the pagans worshipped. Those things were what the world said, this is what sexuality looks like. There it was. 
How do you hold both together? My opinion, we can't. As a group of people, we will shift hard one way or the other. Unless we get help from the Holy Spirit, we tend to be more legalistic, more we're right, they're wrong, more you're out, we're in, or anything goes, whatever feels right. We tend to just... And Jesus is the one who's full of grace and full of truth, completely. He is the only one who can navigate this well, and so we need him if we're going to even try to do it. Okay. Verse 30, I'm, I'm getting there. So the men were sent off and went down to Antioch, where they gathered the church together and delivered the letter. The, the people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. Judas and Silas, who themselves were prophets, said much to encourage and strengthen the believers. After spending some time there, they were sent off by the believers with the blessing of peace to return to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, where they and many others taught and preached the word of the Lord. This is my favorite paragraph in the whole thing. It is the least connected to the message that we're trying to make, so let me just make a couple points. Encouraged by the letter, then prophets came. Prophets. Still happening. In the Bible. In the New Testament. Just speaking the message. And what happens when the prophets were released and the prophets were able to speak? They, the church was encouraged and strengthened. There was a blessing of peace. Encouragement, strength, blessing comes from the gift of prophecy, which, if you don't like the word... It's a gift of God speaking through his people, encouraging and strengthening each other with things that come from God through us to his people. Yes, that's great. Okay, but we have more. Verse 36, last section. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So what we have here is another disagreement in the church. This one isn't about what's the gospel. This isn't about who, you know, who gets saved and who doesn't get saved. This is personal. This is practical. Okay, and here's Paul's side. Paul's side is... He deserted us. He deserted us before we even got to the place where I got stoned, where people were trying to kill me, where I got run out of town. We didn't even get to the hardest parts yet. You know we're going back to hard parts. We can't rely on him. And Barnabas is saying, like, he knows he made a mistake. He feels bad. Let's give him another shot. And they cannot agree. And again, they can't both take Mark and not take Mark. They can't take John Mark and not take John. They can't do both. So at some point, they have to just part ways. Now, in the other situation, in this Jerusalem council situation, they came to an agreement. Through their process, through their discussion, they came to agreement, and they could move forward together. That's the goal. That's the hope. We want to be one in Christ Jesus. But at some point, you have people who are saying, I'm going this way, I'm going that way. And for the sake of the mission to continue, the only way they're going to go out again is to part ways. And they part ways to bring the gospel, to go with the presence of Jesus out. 
Now, that brings me to the RCA. This is going to be a quick review. So, I'll need slides because I'm forgetful. Okay, the RCA in 2018, Don Post was the interim general secretary for the RCA. What does that mean? The general secretary is the top staff person in our denomination. Tom DeVries had re resigned, taken another job with, a, with another group, and so they were going through the long, they go through a long extended process to find the replacement. It's not just like, oh, we hire someone in a month. So in this year long or two year, whatever it was, six, I don't know what it was, somewhere between six months and two years, Don Post, a retired pastor, highly respected, was placed in that position until they found the permanent person. While he was in that position, he met with people from all over our denomination. And he met with people who, were, who radically um, had different ideas about lots of things. And he said, now this is, by the way, I'm getting this out of writing because he made a... He gave a talk in 2018 at the annual gathering of our denomination where pastors and elders come together. He gave a talk, so it's written, so I'm drawing from that. And it says, he said, there are differences in our interpretation of Scripture and how we take in Scripture, how we in interpret Scripture, how we apply Scripture, and that's causing division, especially around human sexuality. And... So he said, now, now some people say, like, we, we, well, we believe the Bible. He said, you know what? Everybody I talk to says they're following the Bible. Some people just assume that the other people aren't following the Bible. But how we take it in, interpret it, and apply it is very different. And that, that has impact not just around the issues of human sexuality, but that's where the fighting in our denomination has happened for over 10 years. Our denomination is not unique. Nearly all mainline of the largest mainline denominations in the United States have already, over these issues, split apart. We're like at the back. We've held it together longer than most. But that's it. So then, he said, but that's not it. That's not the only thing. The other thing is what we would term our polity, our structure, our alignment, our decision-making processes. What we have in the Book of Church Order is broken, he said. It is broken. We are using the thing that they used for farmers back in the 1800s. You have, you got to have a decision. It's got to be in person. You can't it just and and to make decisions is very difficult. And because of how people representation works, it's not like an equal representation, and it's broken. And some people want to scrap the whole thing, and other people use say no, we got to hang on to it all. And so anyways, we're stuck. And so the next quote, I think it's the next thing is this quote. So this is paralyzing us and keeping us from the mission on which we should be focused. Just like the Paul, and, Paul and Barnabas. They want to go, they're both like, yeah, we want to go on mission. But then they, they can't go because they've just got this disagreement that keeps them from going. And you say the same thing is happening in the RCA because of these issues around how do we govern, how do we make decisions, how does money get collected, all of that. And how are we interpreting the Bible? And are we going to do same-sex weddings or are we not? And some people are doing same-sex weddings. And should we, should we discipline for them? All of that's out there. All that's out there. So he proposed in 2018. There's only two more slides left, so I'm getting there. He proposed in 2018 that a group of 20 people get together and that they, they called them the Vision 2020 team even though because of COVID it didn't end, it took a three-year instead of two-year process. But, and they were supposed to look at three ways to go forward so that we didn't stay paralyzed. One was 
I don't really remember how I worded it. Staying together. Is there a way that we can just stay together? Is there something that could break this thing open so that we're not paralyzed, but we stay together? A second was a radical reorganization. Could we say, like, well, some are organized under this umbrella because they believe these things, or they want to, and some are organized around this way? Or is there a path for grace-filled separation for those who want to leave? So I went in 2019 to the annual meeting. That's, it was my time to go. And we discussed in breakout sessions, hour long for one, hour long for number two, hour long for number three. We talked about all these things. It's a five and a half day meeting in Michigan. My observation is, regardless of where I was at or where Celebrate's at, there were people who are, there's no way they're staying together. There's no way we were going to stay together with everybody because some people were going to be leaving. And so what we had to do and what we started, we, were, we had talked about these things at an elder board level earlier, but we had to start doing is saying, exploring, what are we going to do? Are we going to stay? Are we going to go? If we go, how are we going to go? Because you can't just leave and be on your own. If you want to keep your assets and property, you have to transfer to another denomination. How are we going to do this? And so we were praying and we were talking and we were looking at and I was talking to people all over the country about what are they going to do. I don't even remember what the last slide is, so let's just do it so we get it over with. Okay, so in 2021, after two delays, when the General Synod finally met uh, in Arizona, and I was at that meeting too, they, they talked to the first one, how would we, the first two, how would we restructure, and they basically said, we're going to take three years to figure out how we restructure, to figure out where we're at on things. Three, three years. But they also passed, and everyone thought that this was going to be a huge fight. I mean, everyone I talked to, we were all bracing ourselves, like, we're going to be here forever tonight, and tonight's the big one. This is it. I mean, we were just all bracing ourselves. And it was the shortest. Within 15 minutes, we took a vote. 80% said, you know what? Those who want to leave will leave with much generous terms than are normally in these kind of things. They can just decide to leave. Celebrate as elders are recommending that we go. And we're going to go to a regional network, just churches in our region, trying to be friends in mission together following Jesus, who are not like looking over each other's shoulders like you got it, you have to, we're approving everything you do, but who, if there's struggles, if there's transitions, who are challenges, we can come send some of our people to help each other. That's what we're looking to do, to be freed to go into mission. Not going to fight, by the way, on the sexuality issues, just because that's, that's something that, you know, maybe, maybe you're wondering. The denomination's position is that marriage, Christian marriage, we're not getting into what the government should say, but Christian marriage is between a man and a woman. It also, and, and it's a very long statement, so I'm not going to, it says we are going to love people in the LGBTQ community. And we need to repent of ways that we have not done that. That's, that's the official position. Will that be the official position two or three or four years from now? I don't know. But that's basically Celebrate's position. We are not going to do weddings between same-sex people. We're not. That's where we're at. The next question, whether we leave the RCA or not, is something our church is going to have to figure out. 
how are we going to love LGBTQ people in a way where they actually experience love? Particularly if our other position is the position we have. Well, let me tell you, that is hard. I am planning in 2023 to do a whole sermon series, and, I, and the reason for 2023 I'll, I'll have to explain later, but a whole sermon series on this. This is very challenging. But I can't get it into it now, even though this would actually be a really great passage. It's one of the things to go through. But that is where we're at. And our goal in moving to the sending network, moving to this regional network, is that we are free to join with others to just follow Jesus together and to, to, to go, to live out the mission. That said, I want to talk about how we do it. If there's a decision, and in our initial like, uh, survey from you, it was like 95% plus people saying, yes, let's go to the sending network. A pretty natural response would be because we're right and they're wrong. Because we're better in what we're doing, this will be better than what they're doing. And you just puff yourself up. So when I presented to the congregation, our congregational meeting in November, I was coming off of five and a half days of Arizona, which was a pretty good meeting, but also in all the side tables to hear how people talked about each other, how they felt about themselves, to hear all the ways that you make decisions and people try to maneuver through governmental motions and all of that, and then came to a town hall meeting of our classes where we went, we reviewed all the things it takes to leave the denomination. It's a lot. It's a lot. So by the time I got to the congregational meeting, I was tired. And when I think I presented pretty well the information. But my emphasis was on the broken national system from my perspective. And it was less on, is anything good about it? Any good people in it? And I got, immediately after the congregation meeting, I got several like, you did a good job. You, did, you kept that well. The tone, your tone was good. All of it, I got lots of that, including from my wife, who she'll tell me how it is. <laughs> Which felt me feel good because I felt like, I don't know, I kind of. But I have one person who I admire and respect who just said to me, that wasn't right. That wasn't a fair way to present it. You just gave a sermon on gentle and lowly. You, didn't, you weren't very gentle and lowly about how you talked about the RCA. And he was right. He was right. So as we leave, can I say, we want to be humble. We don't know where we're wrong. You know what, Paul? Paul, this is the dude who the rest of Acts is written about. Like almost half of the book is written about Paul. This is the guy who, after Acts, the next 13 books of the Bible are his letters to churches or, or church leaders. Like, he's, he's the man. He was wrong. He was wrong about John Mark. You know who John Mark is? Well, we read the Bible. We read Matthew, Mark. 
He's the guy who wrote Mark. Later, Colossians, the two of the last books attributed to Paul, Colossians and 2 Timothy, it says, Mark, Barnabas' brother, is with me now. In Timothy, his very last letter says, please send Mark to me. I need the encouragement. We can, we're trying to be right. We're trying to do well. We don't know where we're wrong. So can we leave humbly? We do not want to be, we do not want to be culturally driven, religious legalists. We're right, do it our way. And we wouldn't say it like that, then it's obvious. It's subtle. It's subtle how our arrogance comes across, how our arrogance comes through. But we also, we don't want to be anything goes. Jesus said, be holy as he is holy. Paul, the guy that wrote this stuff that says, hey, he says to the people that want to have everyone circumcised, they should be cursed. They should be go to hell if they're trying to teach you a different gospel. They should castrate themselves. But he also says, put off the old self. Put to death the sinful nature. Be I am crucified with Christ. I am trying to live like Jesus. Full, wholehearted obedience like Jesus. Somehow we need to do both. Somehow we need to do both. And I don't know how to do it. I'll tell you this this week. This is what I've been thinking about. I am way more worried about my own heart than I am about what's going on with other churches in the RCA. And I'm way more worried about our heart. Can we be both humble and wholehearted? Well, we're going to need help. We're going to need each other, and we're going to need God's Spirit because we naturally just go our own path, do our own thing, think we're better than everyone else, or kind of leave God's ways out the window. And we need to come back and keep coming back to him. He's the one. So I have the worship team. I've talked long enough. I have the worship team come up. We will pray. We're going to do a new song to close. Everybody doesn't need to stand up right away the song. Take in the words. Pray the words. When you're ready, stand and worship, join in, or keep praying and reflecting. But let's pray. Let's pray. You are God and we are not. You are God and we are not. We say again today, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is in charge. Jesus is our master. We acknowledge today that we fall short, that we don't see clearly. We need Jesus. And I thank you for the things that you say to us. That before the foundation of the world, you loved us. You know us. You know deep into our hearts. That you were willing to die for us. You came for us. You rescue us. You forgive us. That you're worth it all. You're worth our whole lives. You are worth it all. I just sense you saying to me, so maybe to others, come back. Come back to me. I love you. 
come back to me. I have what's best in mind for you. Come back. Come back to me. Come all the way to me. It's okay that you've tried and haven't made it. Come back. I'll take you in. You're part of the family. Come back to me. So God, we want to come back with our whole hearts. We want to move forward humbly and wholeheartedly. Send your spirit to help us. We are looking to you in Jesus' name. Amen.